On this week's episode of Polk and Kush, the Pelicans held media day, held hands, sang kumbaya, and lied to us a little bit. The Saints win a game despite not having an offense. Cruise ships have $50,000 passengers. Everything is going so great right here in New Orleans and right here on this program, Polk and Kush. Welcome everyone to Polk and Kush. It's September 29th, 2021, and we are here for the party. We're here standing strong. We still have tires in our yard. Mr. Andrew Polk, how do you do? Welcome aboard, good sir. I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Always a pleasure. Yes. Always a pleasure to be here in my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get it. Uh, since the people have been asking, how are the tires looking this week? Uh, we have... Um... <laughs> I watched the uh, I watched the Saints victory on Sunday. Came home with a little liquid courage. There's a uh, pile of garbage <laughs> across the street from me. There's apartments that I would uh, say they're blighted. Yes, you derelicts. would not know that people live there. You would not know that humans live there. It seems like a place <laughs> where you would just keep like old refrigerators. Uh, but apparently these are apartments that human beings live in. Uh, anyway, Sunday afternoon, I get home. I'm zooted up. I drag all of these tires across the street neatly. I stack them in a donut fashion on top of one another. They're not taking up any more, whatever the diameter of a tire is. They're not taking up more than that. And I stack them up across the street in the garbage pile. Bingo, bango. The reason why I'm doing this because I don't think anyone lives in this shithole building. <laughs> Two, there's a huge pile of garbage over there. And the tires on this side of the street are blocking like the three parking spaces. So I do that. I wake up the next morning, 7 a.m. The tires are thrown in front of my car in not a lifesaver fashion. <laughs> Like I had uh, dispensed them in front of the crack house. It appeared uh, filled another with, filled with illegal criminals. By yeah. the way, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I, legally I can't say it, but it is a den of crime. And uh, you're looking for that Brian Laundry guy. I bet he's over there. Uh, so if the officials are listening to this and they want the address, DM us Polk and Kush on Twitter. I will tell you the address. Go kick in the door. This place is... Uh, I, I saw people over there that I think were in the Taliban. So if the police want to go across the street, kick in the door and say, hey, what's going on? I think that's really just uh, for the good of the country at this point. Uh, anyway, I came home from work. I work, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, like a dog yeah. every day, eight to five, sometimes eight to six, oof, oof. nine days a week, 25 hours a day. Uphill. I get home. Oh, man, was I yelled at for moving the tires across. They were like, why would you move the tires to my property? I was like, oh, because I thought this was just a place where rats lived. I didn't think they'd be offended by the tires yeah. in front of their house. I didn't uh, know that it would disrupt all of the needle usage over here. But, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I, uh, I brought a couple of tires over to your... Six-foot wall of garbage. I thought Heathcliff the cat lived here with his giant pile of garbage. Yeah, I, I'm going over there. Oscar the Grouch is popping out. <laughs> Heathcliff has the whole fishbone. But, you know, I get it. This is a historic district next to a fucking Chinese restaurant. 
and a gas station that hasn't had gas for nine years. Yeah, this is a real historic part of New Orleans uh, where people, they come and they take pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Nicolas Cage's Pyramid Tomb, Jackson Square. The Manning's house. The uh, And, of course, everybody knows I live in the wig store that got looted three times <laughs> during Ida. So, yeah, that's where the tires are. But hey, at least the weather's not as bad. Yeah, the weather's pretty good. <laughs> I I felt a cool breeze the whole time I was throwing those tires into the pile of used diapers and coffins. <laughs> refreshing. A refreshing breeze came across. Uh, I just looked at this and thought it wasn't recording, and I would have just left. <laughs> I would have left my own home and left you here. Just me sitting here talking to myself <laughs> about the pelicans. <laughs> Uh, dude, I sat on that media day call yesterday for like four hours. How was it? Boring. I mean, the first hour, I guess, was pretty decent. That was like some entertaining stuff with both Griff and, uh, and Zion. And then after that, it was like, oh man, it's Wayne and Gabriel time. (laughs) <laughs> Who's going to ask this guy a question? I think I, well, after Ingram went, I was like, I got nothing. I got nothing for any of these guys anymore. You didn't ask when you get, hey, who are you? <laughs> Tell us your story. <laughs> hey, Didi Luzada. What's your first language? Kyra Lewis, what's your dog's name? These are the kind of questions. <laughs> Look, if we had a, a Pelicans blog, you would have to ask those kinds of mm-hmm. questions. Yeah. To be like, who on the Pelicans has the best dog name? Exactly. Yes. Be like, what do you think of? What's your favorite restaurant in New Orleans? That's the one that we used to get a lot. I was like, oh god. You think these, these guys, guys have care. been to Br- Broussard? Yes. You think these guys <laughs> go to Dickie? No, they're like. I guess Chipotle is pretty yeah. good. That's because oh, they're they, fucking eighteen. Yeah, they cater at the facility every day, uh, <laughs> so I don't go anywhere. I play Xbox. I go home, and then I come back to play basketball. What do you think Lonzo Ball's favorite restaurant in New Orleans was? Uh, Raisin Cane's that was catered in the locker room. After Absolutely. The game. Yeah, it's like none of those guys give a shit. Chicken, at all. chicken, chicken. Which combo <laughs> you picking? <laughs> Which I position? You, he never even went to a drive-thru either. He just had a no. uh, br- anywhere he went. He walked in, and there was food just waiting. He was like, "Ooh, shrimp pasta! How Louisiana?" He doesn't <laughs> know. He doesn't know about the whimsy of the Canes drive-thru, and maybe <laughs> Zion doesn't either. And that's why he hates New Orleans. <laughs> Uh, the best news of the week for Zion was uh, that his uh, third floor on his giant, his mom's giant mansion in the Garden District did finally get approved. So uh, that is a, uh, a huge win for Zion. Uh, the loss for Zion this week being, of course, that he is the uh, randomly became the target of a lot of Pelicans fans ire out of nowhere. Uh, once Christian Clark uh, one of our favorite people on earth uh, dropped a really nice, uh, well-reported story uh, that a lot of people didn't know about, kind of about some tension around the Pelicans. And once that happens, people seem to start to choose sides. And yeah. some people were choosing Griff over Zion, which when you say it out loud is like, uh, all right. And they were criticizing Zion for not being in Nashville for voluntary workouts and not being around his team. And then it comes out at media day. Oh, what do you know? Zion's uh, broken his toe or his foot, something on his foot, his fifth metatarsal. Uh, and therefore, he has been out and that would kind of explain uh, everything regarding that. So not great news that Zion is hurt, but also kind of explains all of the stuff that people have been questioning Zion about. Yeah, the uh, the Christian story came out. Uh, I was excited to read it. You knew that it was a good story because it was like the top story on NOLA.com. And like the second headline was like, everyone in New Orleans has been murdered today. <laughs> everyone in New Orleans, uh, their fucking house is burned down. And it was like Christian, you know, calls Griff an idiot. And that was number one. He didn't call him that legally. Uh, but no, that was... Yeah, to take Griff's side, put him in a dunk contest. If you're going to take Griff's side, yeah. put him in a dunk contest with Definitely. Zion. Yes. <laughs> Which one do you think is more replaceable do you to want, the franchise? Do you want the guy that looks like an unshelled peanut M&M? <laughs> oh, or God. do you want Shaquille O'Neal too? 
Who do you want on your side? <laughs> this, like, Are you going to get a call about that? <laughs> it's here's it's when you're going through things like this, and they do happen. Management and players, there's there's friction that happens a lot, especially with superstars in the league, etc., etc., etc. Which one is more replaceable? And it's not even a question. <laughs> like it's it's so ridiculous. Like yeah. you know when it was a question when it was Belichick and Brady. I didn't know which one was more important. Turns out it was Brady. But you didn't quite know. It was like, oh, well, you know. Like, there was some question there. It's like, you know, Belichick's really important. Like, and if he's wanting to do it his way and Brady wants to do it his way, they got to you know, split up. Which one do you want more? Shaq and Kobe had to split up at one point. You had to pick. Do you want Shaq? Do you want Kobe? This is not that. This is David Griffin, a GM who has done a, uh, a bad job the last two years versus Zion Williamson, a guy who's scoring almost 30 points a game on 60-something percent shooting, and he's 21 years old. Yeah, this is like if Polk and Kush broke up, everybody's going to go with Jansen. <laughs> exactly. We're yeah, going to go with the two losers. We're just going to listen to Jansen do the show himself. <laughs> Jansen's going to go to Ale and do the show, and nobody's going to care. But, you know, the, the Twitter is... There's no age limit on Twitter. Yeah, that's There's true. no location limit on Twitter. Yep. There's so many crazy people on Twitter. Yes. Of course, you know, you see 28 people saying, I trust Griff. It, yeah. it seems like more than it is. And also, these are people that are, you know, on a break at Wendy's, yeah. smoking a cigarette. <laughs> They're like, I'm going to tweet something insane before I go back into there. Uh, or it's it's grade school children that are just trying to, you know, <laughs> instigate or Russian bots. Obviously, no one in their right mind would pick Griff over Zion in any circumstance. No, he is far less important. Uh, and the concept of turning on Zion before the season even starts, it's like, guys, He's still like gonna play this season. Like do, you want him to win now, right? Like this. Why would you turn on him now? The season hasn't even started yet, guys. Like he's not showing any commitment to the team. It's like, okay. Well, it turns out he was hurt. So uh, why there was so much secrecy around that is beyond my comprehension. Whether that be from Zion's side or whether that be from the Pelican side or whatever the reasoning is, uh, I find that to be uh, laughably bad public relations because if they had just told everyone it could have been two weeks ago if they just told everyone look zion has a foot injury he will miss the preseason and be back for the regular season i don't see how the blowback would have been any worse than it was today yeah you know like there's no difference like it's exactly the same thing except no one would be questioning zion that's it no one would be worried about Zion's commitment to his teammates. It never would have happened. Instead, you've had this rift that's, that's cropped up from a small faction, but a vocal faction of the people who follow the team, which is, you know, a couple dozen soccer moms. And it is, <laughs> it is, uh, it is completely unnecessary from the start. And so the good part of Media Day was that, you know, from the Pelicans' perspective – is that no matter how much uh, misrepresentation was occurring, for what it's worth, this podcast stands with everything Christian reported. I know a lot of the people that he talked to. Uh, I can stand, you know, he's not going to say it, whatever. His sources are impeccable and accurate and all those things. But it doesn't really matter how it's represented. The fact is that they stood united, Griff and Zion, at least got themselves on the same page. They did not dig at each other. They didn't do anything uh, that would have made the situation worse on uh, during media day. And I think that on its own is important. Is there uh, and I'm asking this like sincerely from a from a question of uh, from a point of not knowing. But is there any way that maybe the Pelicans didn't know that Zion was going to have the surgery or was injured or the timeline regarding that? The way that Griff explained it is that they knew and that their doctor was involved and helped do the surgery. Uh, so unless he's completely lying, uh, no, they did know. So the, the bungling of this from a, you know, whatever messaging perspective, again, it could have been Zion saying, do not say anything. We do not want this out there. So I'm not completely blaming the Pelicans. But at the same time, it, it, it would seem that they knew. Uh, so I don't really get it uh but at the same time 
more importantly is that now it appears the two sides, and maybe they were the whole summer, are very much on the same page and trying to put out at least the same messaging, which is Griff didn't play the piano. All right. Have you ever asked a 21-year-old to lie about (laughs) you playing the piano? I mean, that's a lie. That happened. That's too absurd of a thing to Mm. say that it... Uh, didn't happen. That would be a very weird thing to pull out a left field. There's a keyboard in his room that got brought up. That got brought point. up. Yeah, I think that that uh, this, shed at the credibility this happened. Just a little bit. This happened. Uh, it's just an insane kind of. There, there's a middle ground semantically that you could say like he showed him the piano, but he didn't play the piano. He looked at the keyboard. Maybe it's a he mentioned piano. the key- <laughs> Maybe he's one of those keyboards where you hit the button and it plays a ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and then you're supposed to like put in the keys with it. Um, anything. There's a lot of between the lines as possible. Uh, generally, what? though, I think what happened is there was a powwow that occurred. Uh, and they, they said it. I mean, they came up with a timeline the day before media day. Griff said, you know, they met Trajan, Aaron Nelson, the trainer, uh, Griff, and the Pelicans group with Zion, his agent, his stepfather, etc. And they all kind of came up with a timeline for recovery. Uh, in that, I'm pretty sure they also discussed a strategy for how to handle media day. And it came out that way, and I think it was fine. Fletcher Mackle asked the question pretty directly. Zion, basically, do you want to be in New Orleans? Zion made a very clear and demonstrative statement that he loves being in New Orleans, that he wants to play for this team, that he has a good relationship with Griff, even if they don't agree all the time. Uh, he said all the right things. Listen, which Zion has been trained to do since he yes. was 15 years old. Anthony Davis said almost the exact same thing about three months before he got traded. Maybe uh, a month before. He what I liked about uh, Zion responding to Fletcher was him going, uh, what's your name? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm the guy that's been covering you for four fucking years. I'm the only handsome one. You don't know uh, <laughs> <laughs> who I am? Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. There's nothing more uh, just a gut punch in media, and it happens <laughs> a lot when you're like, oh, these guys definitely don't know who I am. No, no clue. I can't tell you how many times I stood like, uh, you know, a foot and a half from Anthony Davis at his face. And I was like, oh, he- that's more than a foot and a half. Yeah. His face. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, a foot and a half below him and then a foot and a half away from him and be like, I've done this 150 times and he still definitely doesn't know who I am. Uh, and so Fletcher, yeah, he went through that. Um, it is it is all uh, uh, an image uh, that they're trying to project, which is important to say. Let's flush all the uh, sideshow BS. Let's get through the drama. We'll do it together. Nobody looks good uh, if there's tension that's showing. Believe me, we saw it in Brooklyn. We saw it in uh, Philadelphia with Ben Simmons. The best thing to do is to uh, push through this, even if it requires a little bit of misrepresentation, push through this and get to the point where we're getting judged in the season. The part that I thought Griff was the most honest, where he was like, look, when you win, no one cares about this stuff. And when you lose, that's when this stuff starts coming up. And I think that is dead on accurate. I think that was a very fair comment from him. Yeah, that's uh, completely accurate. Yeah. Um, does this uh, secrecy around Zion's injury become another point for Zion to have a problem with the team, to have a problem with management? Or is Zion in on this from day one going, we're going to be secretive about this? I is think, this a family thing? Is yeah. this a future Paul, Rich Paul thing? <laughs> you know, I think this is very much him. If he isn't the one who made the decision, like if his group isn't the one who made the decision outright, he could have said it. You know, like he easily could have put a picture up of him on crutches or whatever it might have been that he needed to, to deal with this injury. Uh, no, he... I don't think this injury causes a rift from his perspective toward the team at all. The only people I could see being annoyed by all of this, frankly, are the rest of the Pelicans. Uh, I could see his teammates being at this point, a little pissed off uh, just by the way that the amount of attention that gravitates towards Zion for it. The fact that he isn't around the fact that 
I I wonder if they knew. I mean, we never really heard from anybody that of them saying that they kind of understood. Brandon Ingram said he talked to Zion, I think, three times the entire offseason. It was a pretty long offseason. Uh, I mean, the Pelicans were done pretty early. Yeah. <laughs> there was not a lot of a playoff run. Uh, they had some time. And so that was a little bit odd to me as well, uh, even though he said they had a good relationship. I don't know. You tr- most of these events, you end up reading between the lines. The other part of it is that it, the rest of the team sounded great. I think everything, everybody else, everything that everybody else said that didn't include Zion, I think was like, exactly what you want to hear and what you normally hear at a media day. It was all very normal. Yeah, and I, I didn't really uh, take anything by Brandon saying that he'd texted Zion three times. Brandon mm-hmm. is always high as shit. <laughs> he may have he may have texted Zion a hundred times. He didn't know. And that's fine. Yeah, you haven't texted him three times. You guys talked on uh, 2K or Fortnite. Like, they're probably talking on that stuff. Uh, I did love that Griff just like lauded Ingram's leadership over and over again. And then someone asked Ingram about his leadership. He's like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) like, I mean, I'm just just trying to do what's right. It's like he either isn't really taking that role or he's downplaying it to such a degree that he's the best leader of all time. (laughs) I don't don't know which one is true, but it is uh, is the fact that he's just taking just trying to take zero credit for the leadership he's being praised about by Griff endlessly is uh, kind of hilarious to me. Uh, it was a, 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 as eventful as a media day as you're ever going to find. I thought it was interesting. I think there's going to be a lot to watch with this team in preseason, even with Zion not playing uh, during those games. Uh, it is nice to be able to talk about the Pelicans in a future way, not in a past way. All these things are important. Uh, and so I'm happy to, uh, to be back on that train. So we've got so much more in this show. We've got Saints, so much local news, overrated, underrated, and the worst. Stick around. We'll be right back. Poke and Kush. Ale on Oak, your destination on Sunday, on Saturday, on Friday, on Monday, on Thursday. What do those days have in common? Football. What else do they have in common? Needing a drink. Ale on Oak is Uptown's finest patio. Spacious, cool, shaded, TVs everywhere. We have said this a million times. Sometimes you go to a bar in New Orleans They don't know what is happening that is not going to happen at Ale on Oak. They are showing all the local games. They are showing Tulane. They are showing LSU, Lafayette, Saints, everything in between. Go out there. Get there early. Get a great spot. Get some food. They have a full menu. They have over 30 beers on tap, including delicious craft beers that they're having specials on during games. It's a good deal. It's a great time. There's really nothing better than a weekend in October, in New Orleans, watching your games, watching your, knowing when you get there that the teams will be on the TV and understanding that there's going to be good food, there's going to be good people, there's going to be lots of beer, and there's anything that you could want. Uh, truly one of the favorite places to go to, Ale on Oak, the best patio without question in Uptown New Orleans. Uh, if you're going to watch the Tigers there, it's perfect. If you're going to watch a Saints game there, it's even better. The Saints on Sunday, noon against the Giants. There's craft beer specials for pitchers. Everything that you can ask for. Ale on Oak, beautiful people, beautiful bartenders, beautiful weather, beautiful time. Go there. Tell them you listen to Polk and Kush. Uh, if you might see us there. Yeah. Um, look for the most handsome devils there. <laughs> that are also balding. And then go, hey, Polk and Kush. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so that is, of course, on Oak Street, right off of the streetcar line, uh, or close to Carrollton. Check them out. Ale on Oak. That is a sponsor. Man, that was great for 37 takes. That was our best <laughs> that was one. Our best one to date. Takes us to the Saints, <laughs> the New Orleans Saints. We had to make a little edit, but that's fine. The Saints. They need to get their stuff together. I can't believe they won that game. Their offense, it stinks. 
but the defense is kind of incredible. It's amazing that this team is two and one, considering what they've gone through and considering what's actually occurring on the field. The fact that they have a winning record to me is just insane. I watched that game and took like, I was like, this team is bad. I was like, I don't understand how this is happening, but I think they're pretty bad. Well, that's them getting over the adversity. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know what that means. I just read it before. <laughs> Everyone kept talking about the adversity. The of adversity. Living in a five-star hotel All in of Dallas. the adversity of living uh, <laughs> in a hotel as opposed to living in a hotel somewhere else where the power goes out a lot. Yeah, it must have really sucked for them having three weeks for them to boil their water. Uh, I don't... I think this obviously the Saints are a decent team. I think they uh, they're still better than what I believe the general perception of the team would be. The defense quite good, except every week somebody gets a brutally maimed. Yes. We'll never be back. Yeah, outside of that, everything's great. Uh, honestly, I I really offensive woes. The offense is bad. Uh, so we'll start. Let's start with the what's wrong and then we'll move into what's right obviously they're doing something right if they've won two of these three games uh the the offense though is this really odd combination of like ball control and ground and pound except for your quarterback is Jameis winston <laughs> and that seems like the last guy on earth that you would want to run this game plan with it's worked so far because he's only thrown one horrific interception to the to date, uh, maybe two. Outside of that, he has a track record of making crazy decisions, and you're building a whole game plan based upon the fact that you're going to try to win field position and keep scores close and control the clock. He just seems like the literally the, the worst possible quarterback for that. So you're having him play in a way that's just diametrically opposite to his strengths. But yet somehow, when the fourth quarter came, it worked. And, in the, and he did enough because he's got enough talent that it shines through. But it seems like Sean Payton is trying to do this in the most difficult possible route. Well, opposite to his strengths, like his strengths are... Uh, his arm, yes. obviously. He's a big fella. Yes. Um, those are his strengths. Uh, playing against, the, like, he has zero receivers. Callaway has not been who we thought he would be in mm -hmm. the preseason. Deontay Harris is, he's the Swiss Army knife. It's not Taysom Hill. Deontay yeah. is the Swiss Army knife. Taysom Hill is going in there to do cleanup, basically, mm -hmm. and it worked okay against New England. Yeah, he's a running back. It did not work well against Carolina, who appears to have a somewhat competent defense. Agreed. You cannot say the same for New England. Um, would this team be a lot better if they were playing uh, with Teddy Bridgewater quarterback the, the way that they did yeah. um, in those four or five games a few seasons ago? Yeah, you would think. I mean, that that fits. <laughs> it's less risk. Well, they're basically running that system just with just Jameis. with a uh, a loose cannon. Yeah, <laughs> a guy who's literally getting tackled on third down and throws the ball as high as he can in the air, and he threw a touchdown and said it was because of God. Everybody immediately forgets that they were ripping their hair out yeah. when he has got two knees on the ground letting that ball go. Yeah. Callaway gets it, thank God, but that should still be discussed as a bad decision. It's yeah. a bad decision with a good outcome. Yes. Uh, which no one wants to talk about. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. And, and it's... Again, it's not that it didn't work for two games now. It did. It was a disaster in the other one, but it has worked These, enough, you know? It has worked enough against a very weak schedule. Uh, yeah. New England, I don't know what to make of them. I think their defense is okay. Uh, I, Green Bay, I don't know what the hell happened that game. That was just bizarre. Uh, and Carolina just mauled them to death. There's no, like... There's no way you can have gone into building this team and said, this is exactly how we want to play every week. 
Who's the guy we should have a quarterback? Jameis Winston. Who's the guy that you want to have for a team where you want to control the clock for 40 minutes, punt on every close fourth down, and like run a base and try to win like it's, you know, you're the 1985 Bears? It's it's a really challenging uh, combination to put that together. Credit Sean Payton, because I think it's probably the best way to do it at this point. I'm not saying he's wrong. Uh, obviously, it is, gives them their best chance to win. Minimizing Jameis's mistakes is 100% the way to go. That is the backbreaker of all backbreakers of him. You could see some of those times where he was evading a tackler or two and his eyes were still downfield. You're like, he's going to launch. I've seen it before. He's going to launch and it's going to be a big six. And instead, he got a two-yard run. And that's a much better outcome than the alternative. So I give the Saints credit for that. But at the same time, he just doesn't seem like the guy who for 17 weeks is going to be able to do this. No, this is a draining system to have the team playing in, too. I mean, especially with the injuries piling up. Yeah. Uh, Teron Armstead is out for, quote unquote, several weeks yeah. after Tony Jones ran into his fucking elbow. Yeah. <sighs> When you've got your own players injuring you, that's yeah. not great. <laughs> um, I suppose there is a little upside. Uh, Will Lutz is coming back mm-hmm. sooner than later, which after boy did. I don't even know his name. It's not Gillard Chin. The or bloom came off the Rosas. Pretty My Lord. <laughs> yes. Uh, this guy got a free pet. I didn't see anybody fucking eating this guy's lunch afterwards because everybody was they so won. elated to win. Yes. This guy should be spit roasted. Yes. This is ridiculous. That, and he was uh, the reactions to him missing a couple of field goals were actually worse than him missing the field goals. Like, oh, my God, he's, he looks like me. Yeah. I was like, he's reacting like me. I was like, that seems like not the lunatic, like, you know, slamming his head against the ground and like almost crying. It's like, oh, that is exactly what I do. Yeah, uh, but usually it's with gambling yeah. losses. <laughs> exactly. And I blame the gods. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so I don't think he'll be around uh, much longer. No. And uh, Lutz could be back, I believe, as soon as uh, this week. And yep. uh, Traquan Smith is also looming in that area, probably more towards towards week five uh but that would be boy it doesn't sound good to say man thank god we'll get traquan smith but that doesn't sound great i know but the good news for the saints is they did run the ball well particularly at the end of the game they did exactly what sean payton wanted which was to uh strangle the clock get the first downs on the ground Jameis winston did just enough you know picking up a couple big third downs there on some short routes uh that was a really important drive Again, we don't know how good New England is, but I think they've got a pretty good defense. I think that was important to be able to run the ball and be able to finish the drive. Very important things. And on the positive side of things, the Saints defense was a goddamn wagon. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Tom Brady aside, going into New England and winning against Bill Belichick is still a big deal especially for yeah. a team as in limbo as the Saints seem to be. Yes. Um, that, I think, speaks a little bit more to the uh, resolve of this team than any kind of bullshit about playing in Dallas <laughs> yeah. or playing in Jacksonville <laughs> or living in a hotel. Yeah. They went into uh, the, the best football team for the last decade's home, and they, uh, they made a statement. Yeah, they, they did a lot of little things right. They blocked a punt. Uh, you know, it was there was just enough stuff that they did well. Boy, was that whole team trying to block a punt oh, the man. last two. They were they were all <laughs> gleasoned up. Everybody was trying to block a punt. Uh, and they finally did get a hand on one. It was good. You know, I mean, the announcers just couldn't stop talking about how Belichick never allows this kind of stuff. And the Saints were winning all these little things. It's like, yeah, I mean, the, the, all that little stuff does matter. And look, the Malcolm Jenkins pick six. Probably a little bit lucky, uh, but that's a great play to be there and to finish that play. They were all over Mac Jones most of the game. He had really nowhere to go. Uh, They did exactly what you're supposed to do to a rookie quarterback. Uh, The Saints still have a whole bunch of, you know, people that are not playing, including David Onyemata and Mark Stavenport, and they looked good. I mean, you couldn't really say, with the exception of like one drive, the Saints defense looked really, really good. And kind of dominated this game. I mean, I don't think New England had a first down in the first quarter. Uh, and if it wasn't for a couple of missed field goals, this game would have been out of doubt very early. 
Uh, so congratulations to the Saints defense. I think they're showing up in a way that I didn't know about. And Demario Davis is a goddamn man. I mean, he's a uh, he's a beast. He uh, he's the best player whose arm looks like a candle from TJ Maxx. <laughs> The sleeve. <laughs> the sleeve is weird. The but sleeve is weird. He hits people harder than anybody I've seen in a Saints uniform. I know, but he has that. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like, how is he hitting people? And he this always hard? does the. He always does the Street Fighter thing. Oh yes, yes, afterwards. Yes, the is that Ryu or is that Ken? Either one. Yes. Uh, he's awesome. He's been incredible. Uh, I thought Lattimore played great too. Like. There's a lot of there's a lot to like about the Saints defense right now. Even against Carolina, and as terrible that game as that was, they played really well in the second half. After a dog shit first right. half, they played really well in the second half. They obviously dominated Green Bay completely, and they dominated this game completely. So the Saints know who they are now. I think there's a pretty clear identity with this team. The only question is, is Jameis Winston the guy who's going to be able to extract full value out of that? Yeah, I don't think he is. It's still going to be Sean Payton for most of this season, getting it out of those guys, and that's fine for what this team is. Mm -hmm. Seeing the difference of C.J. Gardner-Johnson being back there, Marshawn yeah. Lattimore, mm -hmm. and really I think what we're witnessing this season, and we're, we were witnessing it last season as well, is Cam Jordan handing the keys off to Demario Davis. No and doubt. I, I don't think anybody would be arguing that. Uh, Demario Davis is a leader for this team. Mm -hmm. You saw him leading chance with Drew Brees last season. He is he's the heart and soul of this team. It's mm -hmm. hard for a player in his position, I think, to take that role publicly. Mm -hmm. But in the locker room, he's the dude. Who else is the dude? Demario's that dude. No question. No question. You know, I I've talked to a lot of people around the NFL, around really pro sports. And you're like, you'll always get, it's very hard to find more than a handful of guys on a team who actually care about winning. This is their job. Most of these guys are kind of, you know, they're hired guns and they want to do what's right for them and get themselves the next contract, the next payday, etc. cetera. Uh, DeMario Davis, no question, is that dude who actually does very much care about winning. And he wants to win the game. And he shows it every play, every game, and... Uh, Gotta love Demario Davis. He's going to be one of those guys that I think is going to be thought of very highly for a long time around here. Absolutely. Um, a lot of good news around the city. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it some uh, local news, eh? Yeah. Let's get into the NOLA breakdown. This is a magical city with magical people. A city of... Res how sick are you, uh, are you of hearing uh, resilience? Yeah. It's like, you know what? I don't want to be resilient. <laughs> I, want, I want to drive down the street and my car doesn't fall into a crater. I don't want to be... I don't want to be like a plucky young upstart. I want to turn on my water and it not be brown. Yeah. It, it, really, it's so uh, patronizing being called resilient. I was like, no, no, I'm just pissed off. Yeah. No. I was like, I'm not like handling it well. No, I'm not brave. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm still annoyed by everything. I just happen to live here also. I'm not a hero at all. I would move to Bastrop, Louisiana tomorrow. <laughs> If I could, uh, you know, continue being a clown up there and make the same amount of money, that won't happen. So, you know, I'm going to be here and I'll be resilient. It's like, man, when these people go to Wendy's and they get shot at by the employees, they're resilient to continue living here. It's like, no, I just don't have any other options. <laughs> like I just it's inertia at this point, you know? It's so resilient how you come home and every day your house has more garbage piled up <laughs> around it. No, that's not good. Not, that's not a thing that I want. Not the type of adversity I want to be fighting. Yes. Oh, man. We do love it here. We, we love it, it, but we also love it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, every day is like being on a cruise ship. <laughs> you know what else is like being on a cruise ship? What's that? Being on a cruise ship. That's right. After Hurricane Ida, Carnival Cruise Ship housed 103 key workers. That sounds pretty good, right? 103 <laughs> on a carnival emergency ship. workers. 
This uh, was something that FEMA had done. They had a, a ranch for a Carnival cruise ship to stay in port here in New Orleans and house as many as 2,600 first responders, <laughs> hospital staffers, and other essential workers. So they used 100? 103 <laughs> out of what was expected to be 2,600. This cost FEMA $50,000 a person. <laughs> they could have literally bought them all houses in New Orleans East. Meanwhile, Jansen could have cleaned up. <laughs> I've got FEMA calling me and they're like, did you really eat food while you were gone? Do we really need to pay you for Vienna sausages? Yes. Are you sure that your house was submerged underwater? Yes, it was. We'll give you $8. Okay, great. But this fucking guy on the Disney cruise ship, $50,000 a person. Hurricane Ida, uh, you know, it was a big deal. (laughs) Perhaps you've heard of it. The story says by the time the mission ended last Friday, only 103 people had stayed on the Carnival Glory. (laughs) Even so, the cost footed by FEMA topped $4.8 million. That's so infuriating. What a waste. The few people who did take advantage of the ship's space and power uh, worked for Oshner, the Red Cross, or emergency departments across New Orleans. the cruise ship had power. Uh, you know, they, they're self-sustaining, of sure. course. So this would have been a boon to 2,500 <laughs> other people working at Oshner or the Red Cross or other... Emer- like, who who gives a... I don't care if, if it's Oshner people on there. Just go get the guys from under the bridge. <laughs> Were they shooting cannons down the hallway? Like, 100 people on a cruise ship? Is insane. It's creepy. Cru- <laughs> cruise ships are feel haunted anyway. The cruise and ship is the size of the French Quarter. I mean, what are these guys? Are they at the you know the conga line? And it's just one, <laughs> two guys. There's only like one guy watching better than Ezra play the bar. <laughs> Have you ever been offered to do comedy on a cruise ship? Uh, offered no. Asked to yes. <laughs> I've asked to. Oh, okay. No, thanks. Uh, But yeah, FEMA's paying for the entire thing. It was a huge disaster. Uh, Our staff is almost certain the need decreased and the boardings decreased due to power coming on faster than initially reported. Well, that's not true. Yeah. (laughs) Did anybody... (laughs) Faster? Also, uh, everybody whose power came back on... Their house stunk. They had, like, water and shit. They didn't have any food. Yeah. Why wouldn't you stay on the cruise? This is more bullshit from big cruise. (laughs) Especially everybody there could have had 26 rooms of themselves. I'm just glad that the the FEMA, they've been... I don't know if they've been calling me. Some guy has called me. Yes. And he has a phone number from Mobile, Alabama. And uh, he called me. And I was like, hello? He's like, hey! And I was like, okay, uh, hello? And he's like, yeah, I need to uh, check out your property from FEMA. And I was like, what for? And he's like, FEMA! And I was like, okay. I don't know. Is this real? And you can't ask him if it's real. They're not no. going to go, okay, No, you got, you got me. me. <laughs> Candid camera. So then I looked it up, and I have to call FEMA. I'm not doing that. I'm just going to ignore it forever. Yeah. I'm and then I'll go, to, form. I'll go to prison later. But <laughs> This is what FEMA does. What a waste. Oh anyway. Oh, my God. If you made it on the cruise ship, send us a message. We'd love to hear your story. Yes. And your resilience. Thank you for your resilience. Uh... More resilience. Do you remember uh, last week? There were so many days of just constant strife, uh, but a sign fell on the interstate. Oh, yeah. The West End exit. I used to take it. Yeah. Lakeview. God bless. Uh, It just fell uh, onto the interstate. And, you know, a bunch of cars crashed into it. Friday afternoon, just the interstate's closed. I was like, what do you mean? I was driving from uptown actually to Lakeview. And they were like, oh, you have to take a canal all the way down. So I was like, what are you t- why wouldn't I just get on the interstate? It's like, 
Oh no, the entire sign is down over the main artery of the the region. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm, well, that's a thing that happens nowhere else in the world. The uh, the infrastructure here is crumbling, and this is a good example. There originally, when the story came out, it was just the sign fell, thousands crashed into it. Everyone's dead. <laughs> you can't go home. Whatever. Another day in New Orleans. Sure. But then later, it came out that a truck crashed into the um, scaffolding, whatever the hell it's called, and uh, brought ah. this thing down. I go, okay, sure. That makes more sense. 3 p.m. on a Friday, that. drunk driver. Was it me? Who was it? <laughs> Story further unfolds. Not simply a truck, a dump truck. Oh, God. And it dump? just plowed into it. Yeah. A dump truck picking up garbage. <laughs> So the one truck they managed to get out there to pick up nothing crashed into the interstate and made your lives even worse than you knew, delaying thousands of people. Uh, Several people crashed into it and fucked up their cars. Incredible. And whose fault is it? The garbage collectors. Yes. What, What a turn of events that is. We've been waiting for these garbage people. For, now, mo- for a month, yeah, and then they show up, and on their way out, they knock down the sign behind them to make sure that everyone is snarled in traffic for the entirety of their Friday afternoon. I mean, that's uh, that's lighting the bridge on fire as you leave town. That's like one of those weird karmic whatever. That's like an Alanis Morissette lyric. You oh know? yeah, like, that is out of control uh, that that would occur. And, you know, I don't think that's happening any other place in this world. No. And the garbage stuff continues. There was a garbage protest, which was kind of dumb. <laughs> I thought it was dumb. <laughs> uh, because, like, you see the photos, and it's clearly these people that they just like to protest. Sure. They like to protest. It's fun. They were in, they were in like, the Bywater uh, with, outside Marquis. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're protesting at Hank's where you're eating a catfish po' boy. Uh, but they had, like, there's shitty bags of garbage and they're just walking into Bywater. And you can't tell if it's a garbage protest because there's so much garbage in the Bywater. Exactly. It's like, are these guys just picking up what's next to them? And they went to Town Hall or the City Hall. This wasn't a protest. This was, hey, let's get 34 people together and get drunk. It was like a, <laughs> one of those Mardi Gras groups, you know, that like, you know, hey, we're going to call yeah. ourselves the Kitty Cats and we're going to listen to yeah. Bop and walk behind, you know, talks. This was the crew of Bush Light and they were <laughs> taking their cans to throw them in front of City Hall. But I guess like the they weren't actually going to throw out all their garbage at City Hall. So like one guy did a thing as like a... Uh, a statement, you know, he put his garbage there and then they all cheered and then they went to JJ's in the bywater. And sure. That's <laughs> wow. What a protest. But the uh, I guess like there's this this guy, David Eckler. He uh, he threw out he actually threw out a bunch of garbage bags at City Hall, which, by the way, is not where Latoya Control lives. So, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you your address if you email us pokingcushiongmail.com. He hadn't even finished unloading the reeking, leaking heap of garbage bags from his rental truck. This man rented a truck <laughs> when the cops arrived. He was cuffed and issued a summons for illegal dumping. While that was happening, 37 people were murdered. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> But but basically, (laughs) while uh, half of the city's police force was handcuffing this man for putting two bags of garbage on City Hall, Uh uh, they're burning down rallies. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the the worst version of the Jimmy Fallon game. Like, two things that are true and one that's false. In New Orleans, it's always two things that are true and then five people were also murdered during this time. Which one is false? The police offered him a choice, either pick up the awful mess or get hauled off to the hoose gal. What the fuck does that mean? Television that sounds cr- like a typo. Hoose gal. <laughs> H-O-O-S-E-G-O-W. That's what my grandfather called uh, Jewish people. <laughs> hoose gals. Television crews had not scrambled to report on his social disobedience. Okay, NOLA.com. It's not social disobedience. This is social response. 
This is just uh, Michael Douglas. This is yeah. This is falling down, but with garbage only. Uh, yeah. So the cops showed up. They said, "Hey, buddy, pack up your shit." While that was happening, uh, your garbage didn't get picked up. No crimes were solved. <laughs> your uh, pet boa constrictor is still missing. Do you see that? And, uh, you know. And 500,000 people took an illegal left turn. Yeah. And your your business that you've uh, put all your money into for the rest of your life uh, has to make sure everybody has a vaccine card or you'll go to prison. <laughs> but, you know. There's no garbage at City Hall, that place none of us go. Because it's fucking closed right now. Like, all the courts are closed, too. Whatever. I'm over it. I'm calling over it. I'm calling in right now from Branson, Missouri. This is a Zoom call from Branson. I work for Ray Stevens now. This is too long. <sighs> That'll take us in to your favorite part of every single week, ladies and gentlemen. Segments. Overrated. Overrated. Underrated. That's right, everyone. Overrated and underrated. If you have any suggestions for these, email polkincush at gmail.com. You don't have them often, but one of these days, you just <laughs> might. Uh, we're going to go through these. Uh, underrated. Start with underrated. Let's things let's sparse it up a little bit. After uh, that, that was that was depressing. Polk, <laughs> the world's your oyster. Let's, let's let's go a little positive. Underrated, uh, eating at the bar. There's as a as a father, it's very difficult to eat at the bar. You don't get a lot of opportunities when you go out to eat. You've got a, a trunk full of toys like Santa Claus. And you're screaming at the waitress from the second you sit down to bring the food out as fast as possible. You're looking at the menu like, all right, what actually doesn't have to be cooked in this menu that they can bring me right this second so that these children will stop talking uh, and just, you know, get themselves through this meal. And every you, everybody in the restaurant is staring at you because you're ruining their experience even though you're at Chuck E. Cheese and it's just uh, a total uh, it's it's a, a stressful experience to go out to eat under those conditions. So you don't get to eat at the bar. The bar is the exact opposite. Eating at the bar, you feel like you sort of own the restaurant. You're out there, you're talking to the guy who's making the drinks and making the food. You see exactly what's going on. You're in no rush to get anywhere. You're you're hanging out. You feel like you know everyone who walks in. You're kind of judging them as they walk through the door. Uh, eating at the bar is a wonderful experience that only happens for people who don't have kids with them. <laughs> if you eat at the bar and you have a three-year-old with you, I think they arrest you on the spot. So I, I, I thoroughly – tonight – I went to a nice restaurant with my wife to celebrate her birthday. We sat at the bar, and Jeopardy was on at a really nice restaurant, and we looked at the Jeopardy answers. You can't do that from a table. You feel like you can't talk to the bartender about the answers to Jeopardy. No, you're sitting there just alone. So anyway, very underrated experience. Those of you who don't eat at the bar enough and you just go to get a drink, I suggest starting to do your full meals there because it is a lovely experience most of the time. Underrated. Polk, disagree or agree? I agree. I wish that we could call in uh, sweet Dr. Kushner for her <laughs> version of this, where it's like, well, you know, I guess it is a little underrated, but also I had to watch Jeopardy at a bar for my fucking birthday. It was a nice restaurant. I you swear. mentioned Chuck E. Cheese. That's not where you were, was That's it? That's not, no. <laughs> There's no bar there, unfortunately. There's just a big room with an animatronic mouse singing pizza songs. Well, I'm uh, I'm childless, so I I eat at the bar every single time I go out. Do you? It's such a cheat code because you go in the restaurants and you're like, "Can I sit?" They never really know when you go in. You're like, "Can I sit at the bar?" And like, I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we've, we've got seventy five tables on a scientific system, but those eleven bar seats, we have no idea what's going on. There. What is the system at the the bar works perfectly? You go up there, you sit down, the guy gives you your drink, and then he takes your order in five seconds. 
The table system is flawed. The whole restaurant should be a bar. Yes. I think just one giant bar with, you know, multiple rows of bars. I think it would work better. You can't take the three-year-old to the bar unless. I guess in a brewery, every brewer I go to, there's always kids in earmuffs. Yeah, there's so many kids at breweries. I don't really well, understand. How does brewery the, get around it? I don't know. It's very odd. They're like, that, well, they have cornhole, so I guess it's kid friendly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, we have a bounce house, so therefore it's kids. Like, you're selling beer. Like, the whole point of being here yeah. is to drink beer. So why is it any different than a bar? It's a very odd thing that Americans have uh, decided to come up with uh, a loophole. Um, you got an overrated for us? I do have an overrated. My <laughs> overrated. Yes, look at my phone. That's how well thought out this is. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> the secondary ticket market. Everyone, Overrated. Everyone. Taking your wife out for a birthday <laughs> dinner she deserves. Every time you go to buy tickets for something, you end up looking at these secondary ticket markets, and you get fooled by the price because the fees are like, you know, 60% of the cost is the fees. And it's really not a realistic gauge of what the market actually is until about three hours before the game, concert, whatever mm-hmm. it is. So I'm looking weeks in advance, and I'm checking the prices, and they're kind of not moving, and they're and you're, you're really trying to get scientific with it. In the day of, the price just totally changes. The bottom just falls out of it, and everything's cheaper. Right now, to get a Saints ticket for the Giants game, in some areas, it's like insanely expensive, and in others, it's like $40. I'm like, well, this means that no one is buying these tickets, yet these people won't move the price. But you know the day of the game, they will move the price. So this is just, a, it, it's not a real market. They haven't set a price that actually makes sense. We're just waiting. And they give you a BS price, which is what you are technically paying I guess for the cost of the ticket, but that's not actually the cost of the event. The cost of the event has the fees attached. It's what you pay. In what other setting do you not actually see the price of what you're paying for? It's a stupid system. I just wish they did it better. I just wish it was more transparent and that when you put your ticket on there, that it was harder to just move the price up and down so easily. But I guess it's kind of unrealistic. I'm uh, I'm looking at StubHub right now for Saints Giants, and uh, the bottom line for it looks like about really probably about sixty tickets so far, uh, all around fifty bucks. Yeah. Whenever you go into StubHub, you pay the extra fees. Mm-hmm. These are probably going to be about seventy-five bucks each. Yeah. Uh, Day of is a gamble. Because StubHub, I don't know if it's recently, but they cut off sales as soon as kickoff happens. Ah. As soon as gates happen at concerts. I sold tickets. I was supposed to go to a music festival in Alabama last weekend. Uh I sold tickets. I was trying to wait until the last second to get like the highest possible price. Yeah, but gates open at 11 a.m. They cut off ticket sales at 11 a.m. It's not stock. like I feel like used to you could buy a ticket on here into like the first quarter and stuff because I knew people that saw Guns and Roses at the Rose Bowl. Yeah. After like the first band was done and they were getting in there for like 20 bucks. You There's no really... reason they should cut it off. It doesn't no. make any sense. The tickets are still there. They're still valid. They're they're trying to like put more of an impetus on people buying them beforehand and not doing the only thing you can do to not completely get fucked buying tickets now. Yes. It's all a scam, of course. Uh, But yes, it's frustrating. It's a frustrating marketplace because it should be like, it's kind of the dream of what everyone had 20 years ago of what ticket buying should be, which is all supply and demand. And what's happened instead is these third parties have kind of gotten in front of it and made it a much more challenging experience. Yeah, and I, I never did any of this stuff. I'm, I'm too young to have done stuff where people like slept outside of arenas to get Metallica tickets yeah. and things like that. I, I never had to do that. Would I have paid 20 more dollars to avoid doing that? Probably. Yeah. But it's also easy to complain about now. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I just, uh, every time you go through those things, you look at it and you're like, this isn't actually what it's supposed to cost. Like, they're just trying to get suckers you know, two, three weeks ahead of time, people who are traveling, people or whatever, and they have to get these tickets in order to go to what they're going to. And so then you have to just wait it out and wait it out. And uh, and I was at an Astros game uh, during the uh, evacuation, and Ooh. they have guys sitting 
in the booth, like guys in the ticket booth, and you walk up to them and say, hello, sir, can I buy a ticket to the game that starts in five minutes? And they're like, no. I'm, I'm just here in case you have problems with your MLB app. You have to use the app to buy the tickets and pay the fees on the app, and this guy is sitting in the ticket booth doing nothing. Whoa. So you can't even buy tickets. Well, with- you know what he's waiting for. He's waiting for Ricky Bobby's dad to show up <laughs> and get those two tickets. <laughs> or Jerry Glanville, you're sleeping for Elvis. <laughs> and it wasn't even Will Call. It was just the guy sitting there just staring at his laptop like, no, you can't buy tickets to me. I was like, you're in the, the thing called the ticket booth. This is like, I can't imagine. I can't imagine my parents getting on a plane, going to a concert. They <laughs> yeah. can't do this stuff. It's crazy. I just like you've totally like technologyed out a very large segment of the country, I feel like. But maybe I'm wrong and people are way more technologically savvy than I think. But I watched my dad, who is an incredibly smart and accomplished person, almost lose his mind trying to buy two tickets outside of a baseball stadium. Well, sometimes I leave my house and I forget my phone yeah. or my phone is dead. Yeah, exactly. Or I don't have any data because I have cricket. Uh- <laughs> Or a hurricane Ida just struck and all the phones are down. <laughs> yeah, it's like all these places decided we don't really want to print tickets anymore because it costs us eight cents to do mm-hmm. it. And so we're just going to make you do it on your phone with their technology that you already paid yeah. for and that somebody else is going to charge you a fee for. Well, it. it's big business because those tickets uh, in like 2008 to like 2010, the big thing was holograms and like oh, yeah, all this yeah, yeah. shit to like authenticate right yeah those things cost a lot yeah and uh, now they get to avoid that and keep charging it's like every month when energy is like please switch to uh paper free it's like i'm not gonna do it i'm making you spend that 32 cents you mother (laughs) oh on that uplifting note that takes us into my favorite part of every single week on this year program ladies and gentlemen the worst the worst the worst is the worst thing I saw or read this week. Send it to us on Twitter, Polk and Kush, or polkandkush at gmail.com. This story comes to us from the news. Ever heard of it? <laughs> First Coast News. That's the name of it. Uh, police in, Lo- in Lake City. This website. The thing keeps going over the story. Oh, Do you God. see this? I'm going to lose it. The story, I'm just going to paraphrase because half the story is being covered up. A guy went to a car dealership and he stole a car, which you're not supposed to do. And uh, upon. He, got, he got away with it. And then a few hours went by. This man drives the stolen car back to the dealership. And he tries to sell it back to the dealership. No way. They checked the VIN number. They didn't <laughs> recognize it, which I think was a little on uh, Yeah. Did he take... You remember how they put like the, the shitty crinkly paper in the back that has like, the miles per gallon or whatever on the back window? Uh-huh. I bet he didn't even take that off. <laughs> Obviously, the car is very clean. He just yeah. stole it from the lot. So he takes it back, tries to sell it. They're like, hey, we recognize this car that we sell. He waits there like a moron. The cops show up and arrest him. He didn't go to a different dealership? He went to the same dealership. <laughs> he didn't want to drive to a different dealership? Look, this is in Lake City, where if the website <laughs> was working, is Lake I don't City know. In? I'm going to guess with Florida. Ah, okay. Ah, it's, it's a, it's a, it appears to be a uh, suburb of Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, my God. This guy looks like... Uh, that, this wasn't written by the writers of The Good Place? Man, this guy... that guy from Jacksonville? What on... I the same dealership? Uh, this guy looks like uh, Santa Claus at the mall. This guy... <laughs> <sighs> it was a Chrysler Dodge Jeep. He went back there. Employees checked the VIN... Closed circuit. They didn't really need the camera. They could. <laughs> Do they have. It's their car. He was charged with grand theft of a motor vehicle, dealing in stolen property, criminal mischief, which is really the f- the cutest of criminal. Exactly. Mischief. It's like what were you were you were being a criminal goofball. Yeah. Was he Dennis the Menace? <laughs> and petite theft. It says P E T I T theft. 
I think it did it mean petty theft? I don't know. I don't know. This is Florida. I'm not gonna act like I'm smarter <laughs> than them, but anyway, if you if stole no one a was car, penetrated, it's not that serious of a crime in Florida. If you stole a car, which you know, in New Orleans that <laughs> just doesn't happen. If you were to steal a car here, my car is being stolen right now by Eight-year-olds. <laughs> they're actually putting the more little tires rat, on it. <laughs> the the thing about getting your car stolen in New Orleans is it's like the little rascals. There's like one kid like steering, and then there's like another kid working the pedals because they're fucking six years old and they can't see. If you stole a car, what would your move be? Would you take it for, you know, would you go like Audubon style, like go 150 miles an hour? Definitely. Would you crash it into something? Probably. Pick up babes? I, the best part of being here for Grand Theft Auto is that if they take the tires off your car, <laughs> you got another set right there. I've got enough <laughs> for everybody that's rated us five stars. I have an 18-wheeler parked in front of my house, and we can refill it if they steal all the tires. The best part about the lady yelling at me about moving the tires <laughs> to her garbage pile was she kept saying to call my city councilman. <laughs> I was like, you mean your city councilman? You think I know who that is? <laughs> you also have a huge pile of shit. Yeah. <laughs> you, mean, you mean the same people who did nothing about the power being out for 10 days? Those yeah, same people. Those same people. I'm sure they'll go right on it. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be here any minute now. Why don't you take us out of this one, Kush? Yeah, this is one of our bitterest episodes of all time. We appreciate all of you listening so much. We do love doing this program, as uh, ornery as we might sound sometimes. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at Polk and Kush. That is uh, at Polk, A N D K U S H. Also, email us, polkandkush at gmail.com. Rate. Like, subscribe. We know one of you gave us a four star, and we're going to find you. We're going to hunt you down, and we're going to make you give us a five star because that's what you're all going to do. All right, everybody. We love doing this. Please support Ale on Oak. Please support Jansen Batagno. We got some more sponsors coming down the chute, and we love each and every one of you. So, so long for a little while. See ya.